for sale. Any, anybody else? God, thank you so much, God, for being so incredibly good. Thank you for miracles, God. Thank you for hearing and answering prayers, God. Lord, thank you a lot of, a lot of times you answer prayers and we don't see them. You don't answer it or maybe ways that we thought and the ways that we had in mind, but you always answer it right as according to your perfect will. God, I, I thank you, Father, that your grace is sufficient, that your grace carries us at times when we may not understand some things that's going on. God, you know the needs. You know all of these, Lord, that are sick. You know the seriousness of the infection there with Michelle. You know the seriousness of cancer, God. You know the seriousness of, of, of disease and sickness and heart disease. And, and God, you, you know the need of salvation of those in, in this prayer list here, God. And Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would draw the ones that are lost. I pray you continue to work in their lives. Lord, I pray you touch these that are sick. God, I pray you'd meet with us here tonight. We just teach us something from your word, God. We came in here just to learn something about your word, be able to sit down for a few minutes, Lord, and just relax in your presence and learn something from your word, God. I pray would you just move in here tonight and help us, Father. Help us to learn something, Lord, that we might walk out and be a better servant, that we might please you better. We love you, we thank you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you guys want to turn in your Bibles, we finished up chapter 14 of the book of Acts last week. Those of you come from the children's department, I know y'all don't get to do all this, but, but it, it is a day-by-day -day study. You're not missing it by um, picking up in the middle of a study. It's not like, well, I, I come in in the middle, I can't get anything. To be honest, every single night, anything that we do, anytime that I preach, it, it, is, it is pointed for that day. And it's always my prayer that God give us something out of that day. So even though we're taking a certain set of passages right here, and what we're going to take is about the first 10 or 12 verses here, chapter 15 in the book of Acts. If you remember Paul and Barnabas, they have come back to, to Antioch of Syria. They've been on their first missionary journey. They've come back and they're telling people about all the things that God has done. They remember they, he healed the blind and lame, and he's telling about all the souls that were saved. And I'm sure they're telling about how Paul was stoned um, and, and how at Lystra and how all the men went back thinking that he was dead. And then he got up and they started churches and towns and saw a multitude of people saved and the church is growing. So they're having this great revival, if you will. They've come back to the sending church, the place that ordained them, the place where it all began, where God told that church to separate me out, Paul and Barnabas, and anoint them and send them into the ministry. We saw the first ever missionaries go out. So they come back and there's this great celebration. But chapter 15 says that certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. And when therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. Being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenix and Samaria, declaring the, the conversion of the Gentiles and caused great joy unto all the brethren. When they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. There rose up a certain sect of the Pharisees which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders came together for to consider this matter, and where there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us, that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. God which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. He put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. And all of us Gentiles said, Glory to God, thank you, Jesus. Verse number 10, wherefore, therefore, why tempt ye God? 
to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. We believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Thank you. You guys can be seated. We looked briefly last week as we got to chapter 15 and kind of left off here. We looked at false teaching is, that is the devil's forte, if you will. False teaching is a highlight of the devil, a highlight of the enemy. False teaching is actually pretty simplistic to him, to, to the weak spiritual. If you don't read your word, if you don't pray, if you don't stay in tune, it's a, it's a pretty easy target for, for the devil to come in. But, but false teaching works well even within the church. False teaching is a big deal. See, the devil knows the word of God better than any of us could probably ever hope to. The devil knows it forward and backwards, through and through. He knows everything about it. That means he also knows the details. He knows exactly what it says. So he knows exactly what little bitty thing he can change to put a little bit of twist to turn you off course. The devil's a mastermind at, at turning things around to cause people to, to sway in the wrong direction. Now the problem here at Syrian Antioch is something that we looked at before because they come from the church at Jerusalem, they come from Judea, these men are, they come with very high regards. I mean, you're here at Antioch, you got somebody coming from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the mother church. That's the place where it began. That's the place where they send tithes back to. And so it's, it's highly regarded as the mother church. So anybody that comes from there is also highly regarded. They're, they're, they're highly respected. So that they've come there to this church, James being the half-brother of Jesus. At this point, he is the head of the church at Jerusalem. He's known as a man of prayer. He's known as a man of fasting, and they, they know him very well. And so they figured that if they come from the church at Jerusalem, from Judea, then they had to have come out of this church. I mean, he's the one that, that wrote the first of the epistles to, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. So what we see is that anybody coming from here, what they say is going to carry a lot of weight. The fact that they came from there alone, they need no credentials, they need no story, they need no testimony. The fact that they came from that church alone to spread the word, it's going to carry a lot of weight. So when they come in with their false doctrines in the church, that's a big deal. You, you've, got, you've got the Jews here. I mean, this is a New Testament church. So you've got Jew and Gentile alike that have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, washed in the blood of the Lamb. They've been, they've been baptized by the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, and, and they're all alike, and there's one accord growing. And then the devil comes in and begins to mess that up because there's so many Jews there. See, the Jews would have, well, Jews and Gentile both. But because the Gentile understands the importance of Christ, the importance of salvation, Everybody, Jew and Gentile alike, is going to, with open arms, receive these men coming from the church at Judea. They're going to, they're going to welcome them in, and, and they're going to return that attitude to the Jew. But they're not going to return the same respect back to the Gentile. According to their false teaching, Jesus isn't enough. These Gentiles can't be saved because they've not been circumcised. Circumcision is an act of the flesh. A deed of the law, absolutely. The covenant of Abraham, absolutely. A necessity of salvation, absolutely not. So, so they come in trying to, to put this in, and, and they're saying that these Gentiles are ceremonial, un, ceremonially, I struggle that word, don't I? Unclean. They, while they shouldn't even be at the, at the chapel, they shouldn't be at the gathering because they're, they're unclean. That, that is a direct attack of the devil on salvation by grace and grace alone. 
That is a direct attack of the devil against the word of God, that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. That is a direct attack on the word of God, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then you have to be circumcised, yea or nay. Doesn't come out of the word of God. That is a, a direct attack on saved by grace, not of works, lest any man should boast, not of any type of physical work, any type of physical act. It, it is an attack on, on the oneness of the mystical body of Christ, which is brought together only by the blood of Jesus. Nothing more than the attempt of the Jewish elite right here to keep their thumb on things. The Jewish elite was always the head, and they want to keep it that way. So if they can add this to it, it lets them keep their thumbprint on it, because now you've got to come to us. Now we get to handle everything. Now, because there's so many Jews present, and because the Jews have grown up in that line of teaching, you're going to get several of them going to jump on the bandwagon quick. Hey, you know what? They're right. That's a, that's, they're right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The circumcision, that's in the law of Moses. Mm-hmm. They're right. We've always known that. You've got to be circumcised. Yep, mm-hmm. They come from the church of Jerusalem. They got, mm-hmm. Yep, they're right. So all of a sudden, you start getting these Jews getting on board, and you start getting this division because the Gentiles are like, wait a minute. That's not what Paul said. That, that's, that's not what Barnabas said. That's, that's, not, that's, that's not what they said Jesus said. So you begin to get this dissension. You get this growing in, in between them. So what they said is, except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. That's a lie. Now, you know Paul's not going to put up with that, right? I mean, Paul's been on this missionary journey, soul saved. Here he is back. They're having a revival. They're telling about the goodness of God. And these men come out and say, well, if you're not circumcised, you can't be saved. You've got to know Paul ain't having none of that. And I mean, he just got stoned just, what, probably a few days at, at best a few weeks ago at Lystra. He's done got up, come all the way back down and established the churches, the pastors, the deacons, all of us there. He's not going to stand for this, verse 2, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them. They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other men should go up to Jerusalem under the apostles and elders about this question. Paul and Barnabas aren't, aren't about to sit back. They don't care where these men are from. They don't care if they're the pastor of the church at Judea. You ain't coming in here and telling that lie. You're not coming here among these Christians and putting that out. They're going to stand up for, for the truth. So the Bible says that there is a heated discussion. You've you got to understand, these, these legalistic Judaizers, they believe they're right. The apostle Paul and Barnabas over here, they know they're right. They, they've got the gospel to stand on. But you got when you got two people with, with both with some authority and they believe they're right, you, you have, it says no small dissension and disputation. That word dissension, it, it means standing in controversy and uprising. And disputation comes from a word that means discussion. So what we have is a standing, toe-to-toe, heated discussion right here in front of the church. Now, if we look at this, Paul and Barnabas and all those that are with them, they just got back from this missionary journey. They're telling about all of the great things that God has done. People are excited. Souls are being saved. The church is being added to. There's great excitement. There's great enthusiasm. There's a multitude coming to Christ and growing in Christ. What better place for the devil to show up? Expect opposition, and you won't be surprised when you get it. You can't expect in the middle of God moving and people growing and something good going on for the devil not to try to stir that up. For the devil not to try to mess that up. 
for the devil to try to get in and put something there. And if he can just get any little thing in there, so, so he comes in in the middle and, and he begins to stir all that up with, with these false teachers and the missionaries, now you have a heated discussion. So, so what we had is, is there was praising and, and, and there was rejoicing and there, there, there was great unity and great excitement and great stories about the goodness of God and, and now there's confusion and discord. Who won? The devil. The devil come into the middle of a church, in the middle of a camp meeting revival. When the Lord's doing a great work, the devil brought some people right in the middle of the church. Man, don't mean they came from a church. They came with, with, some, with some experience. They, they came with some reputation, and they walked in the middle and stirred all this up. Controversy is one of the devil's favorite tactics because it is so simple to get one person to disagree with another one. Controversy is so simple for the devil to use. Hey, hey, listen, the devil knows everything about us, and he knows a little rub here or a little rub there, and he'll take that little rub and make it a great big issue. He'll take that little itch and make it a great big sore because he understands. So he, he comes in. We looked at it last week. After Paul was stoned, y'all remember we talked about how when, when he preached there at, at that Antioch, and, and they, they went up through all the cities, and, and when he got up, at Lystra, it says that he was stoned and dragged out of the city and, and thrown out for dead. And here's what we noticed, that each time Paul's in the city preaching, every time they, it says a cert, that, that certain of the Jews, certain of the Jews, certain of the Jews stirred up turmoil against them. They were thrown out of the city. They went to another city. They went to the synagogue. They preached. Souls were saved. And, and they began preaching. And then certain of the Jews stirred up trouble. They were thrown out of the city. But then if you remember, we got up there, and at Lystra, Paul was stoned and left for dead. They thought he was dead. They drug him out of the city. They left him for dead. And then we looked at this simple thing I told you I'd never seen before. After that, who was missing? Now, all of you wasn't absent last week. Certain of the Jews, they weren't there anymore. Paul came up through those cities, and it says that souls were being saved. But in every time he was there, he had the hecklers in the background, certain of the Jews. But when they thought he was dead, because the text said that they came all the way from that Antioch, so for more than 100 miles, they've been traveling, they've been heckling Paul and Barnabas. But now that they think he's dead, they went home. Why would God allow, Barn uh, allow Paul to be stoned there in front of Barnabas and all that happened? I have no idea. But I see a reason right there. They all went back, and Paul went back through all of those cities preaching in those cities, and many were saved. And he established a church in every city and appointed pastors to every church and deacons. You know why? Because those certain Jews weren't there anymore. The trouble had been removed. So we were looking at something that was missing. I wanted to go back and cover that because I want, I want us to look at something right here in chapter 15. Some, something that is missing here in this chapter it's not a good thing. All through, all through this missionary journey, in, in every city, 
souls are saved, souls are saved. Many turn to the faith, many turn to Christ, and, and there's many salvations. And then we come out of 14, and they're, they're telling the stories, and, and there's this great revival going on. And, and, and then all of a sudden, these men show up, from these certain Jews from, from the church at Judea, and they come down. And in chapter 15, I, I noticed something's missing. Anybody want to know what it is? You don't find anything about anybody being saved. You don't find anybody else being converted. Here, here in these next few, once this challenge started, what, what's missing is the conversion of, of people. And a matter of fact, we go all the way through chapter 15 talking about this argument and this heated discussion and all, all that's going on, and we don't hear anything about salvation. When we get to the end of the chapter, we're going to see a huge argument between Paul and Barnabas about John Mark. I know a few weeks ago we looked ahead at it because it was necessary to look at it at the time. But what starts out here with this argument, because these certain Jews came, trickles through this entire chapter all the way to the end until we find Paul and Barnabas arguing. And Paul says, John Mark, well, well, I don't have time to get on that tonight, so we'll get on that when we get to it. The bottom line, confusion wins. Discord wins. When there's confusion and discord, the devil wins wins and if it worked on them then it will work on us now if it tore down the church then it'll tear down the church now if it'll stop souls from being saved then it'll stop souls from being saved now if it will rip a church apart from the inside then it will rip a church apart from the inside now anybody get that i need to keep on going the devil continues to use it because it continues to work so the church decides, Paul and Barnabas, certain other, they need to go up to Jerusalem under the apostles and the elders about this question. Now, we know from the book of Galatians, Peter's present at, at Jerusalem. But we also know that, that Peter had some issues of his own concerning this. Peter, Peter had some two-facedness going on. Peter would hang out with the Gentiles, dine with the Gentiles, fellowship with the Gentiles until certain of the Jews were around. And when the certain of the Jews were around that believed that they had to be circumcised, now Peter won't have nothing to do with them. And because of that, the people around Peter won't have anything to do with them. Well, Paul's already had a discussion. When Peter saw what God did in Caesarea, remember at Joppa when he saw the cloth with the animals and God instructed him what I call clean, call thou not unclean. And then he sent him up to Caesarea to the house of Cornelius. And Peter told him all that he saw. And he said, here's what I know. Here's what God has shown me. God has no respect to a person. The blood of Jesus is sufficient for all. Salvation is, is available to all. The anointing, the filling of the Holy Spirit it is available to all. Peter knew that, but, but then after returning back into the overwhelming presence of this Judaism and these false teachings, all of a sudden he doesn't have anything to do with, with Gentile believers anymore. So the text says in verse 3 that being brought on the way by the church, that they passed through Phoenix and Samaria declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. Let me just bump into that one just for a minute. These Judaizers, these ones saying, hey, if you're not circumcised, you're not saved, they came through these Gentile villages telling that. So they're all sad and confused. Paul and Barnabas, they ain't wasting a trip to nowhere. All the way back, they're going through the city saying they're full of hogwash. If you're washed in the blood, you're redeemed of the Lamb. 
your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. You're going to heaven. Don't pay them no mind. You want to listen to something, listen to the word of God. Listen to what Jesus said. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So they come back through. It says they're spreading some good news. They call great joy among the brethren. Normally when brethren is talking about the Jews, when it talks about the brethren, especially coming out of the Old Testament. But here it says that, that he's talking about the, the Gentiles. So, so Paul, Paul's not keeping quiet about it. We, we ought to be like Paul. Paul's got a story to tell. He's seen God do some things, and all he's doing is telling people of the things that he's seen them do. So verse number 4 says, When they come to Jerusalem, they were received to the church and of the apostles and elders. They declared all things that God had done with them. Now here's the deal. When they came to Jerusalem, they were received to the church. It don't say nothing about nothing big being done for them. It, it, it just says they're received. They're, they're, they're giving Paul and Barnabas an opportunity to speak. They're giving them a platform, letting them to say something. But that, that's about all they're doing. This is the Apostle Paul's third trip to Jerusalem since his Damascus Road salvation. This is his third trip back. How many of you know that some people hold a grudge? Some people don't forget. Some people, even after we got saved, took a long time before they really decided it was going to stick. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We'll see how long that lasts. Yeah, right. He got saved. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? That there are people in the church, they ain't forgot who Saul of Tarsus is. You call him Apostle Paul now if you want to. He's still Saul of Tarsus. He's the one that the first time I knew about him headed Jerusalem, he was coming here to kill me. He, he was coming here to, to, to tear down the church. There, there's some people that have not forgotten who Saul was. And then also you have the Pharisees there. You know the Pharisees don't like them. I mean, to some of the ones in the church, he's still the persecutor of the church. But to the Pharisees, he was one of us till he betrayed us. He's a traitor. He's the one that went to persecute Christians. Now he declares to be one of them, preaching from the other side over there. Now, now Barnabas... He was highly respected around there, but he wouldn't have been given the warmest reception either because now he spent so much time with Paul. Remember, he's the one that, that brought Paul in to start with and, and, and said, hey, man, look, you got you to believe this guy. Remember, the, the chief apostles, they, they were scared of him and they wouldn't talk to him. Barnabas is the one that brought him in. So you, you got to hear this story. You got to hear what happened. You got to hear about his conversion. And, and so now because of his friendship and his traveling with Paul, he's not going to get the warmest welcome either. But they declared all things that God had done with them. But then there rose up a certain sect of the Pharisees which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. In other words, those of the Pharisees say there is a legalistic need for salvation. It's not just the blood of Jesus. There's a human action that has to go. Now, Paul himself was a Pharisee, right? He, he told us in, in his letter to the church of Philippi, chapter 3, verse 5, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin and Hebrew of the Hebrews as touching the law of Pharisee. Paul knows very well the narrow-mindedness of their views. You know, if such were some of ye, we all came from the same world. We ain't forgot who we were. We haven't forgotten how good God is. If you've forgotten the grace of God that pulled you out of that stuff, you need to revisit where you used to be. He knows the narrow-mindedness. He understands the stubbornness of their traditions because he was one of them, and he went to kill people because of the stubbornness of their traditions. He fully understands their intolerance for Jesus Christ. So, so the reality here at this, this so-called trial, if you will, 
This is a big deal for Christianity. Now, the Holy Spirit, of course, knows that, right? And the Holy Spirit made sure this goes right. Well, you've got to understand, if this goes wrong right here, this changes the face of Christianity. At this point, it carries it back to a cult. It carries it back to a Jewish tradition. It carries it back under, under Jewish law, but it carries it back under religion. So, so this trial is a big deal in the future of the church. When we're talking about the men here that, that headed up. And it says in verse 6, the apostles and elders came together for to consider this matter. When there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto the men and brethren, You know how that a good while ago God made a choice among us, that the Gentiles by mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Now, it shouldn't be any surprise to any of us that Peter's the one to stand up and speak, right? Not just because Peter always seems to be the one to speak, but in reality, Peter probably is the person here with the most authority. He's probably the person with the most authority in the church. I mean, Jesus did say, upon this rock, I'll build my church. Peter was there. He, he's the one who told him, feed my sheep. He's the one with, with, with some stuff. So the apostle Paul certainly is an authority, and there, there's a lot there. But, but just in reality, they had to present it to the apostle. So Peter probably is the, the highest person here in terms of position. I wonder what, wonder what Paul is thinking when Peter gets up to speak. Paul, Paul hasn't forgot his, his argument. Galatians chapter 2, Paul wrote about a previous incident with Peter. He said, when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. Before certain, before certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself. That's what we talked about a minute ago. Fearing them which were of the circumcision. Other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. Now, we don't know what Paul said to Peter, but we know this. Them two had an argument. We know that the apostle Paul went to Peter, probably head of the apostles, and said, Buddy, you've got to get some stuff straight in your life. You're living a two-faced life. You're talking out of both sides of your mouth. You're living one side when the Jews are around, and you're living another side when they're not. If you're going to trust in the blood of Jesus Christ, you need to trust in the blood of Jesus Christ. If it ain't circumcision, then it ain't circumcision. It ain't when they're here and, and not when they're not. If you're going to be a man of God, be a man of God. I don't know what he said, but you've got to figure it somewhere around those realms since that's the thing that it points out. That's the issue that was going on. So I wonder what the Apostle Paul is thinking. Now Peter's fishing to get up and speak in all of these Circumcised Jews are present. Mm, wonder what he's going to say now. You got to think because Peter's there in Jerusalem and he's been with these legalistic Jews for a little bit. You got to you got to think they're probably thinking, mm-hmm, fishing to get something now, boy. You you missionaries going back home? We fishing to set y'all straight. Y'all, you know what I'm talking about? Everybody got their own opinion, right? Y'all don't tell me you ain't got opinion. Everybody's got opinions. Everybody's got them. They say they're like armpits. They usually stink, but everybody's got them. So, so, so they're, they're, I wonder what's going on in their mind. But, but Peter gets up and says, you know how a good while ago God made a choice among us that Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them of the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. He said, I told them about Jesus Christ, and they accepted the gift, and the Holy Spirit filled them that day the same way he filled us at Pentecost. 
Nothing was any different. It happened the exact same way. There wasn't any circumcision. There wasn't any law. It was the Holy Spirit came in as the gift. And he comes in and says that he put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. So, so God made it clear to Peter back at that day in Joppa about the cloth and, and what's clean and unclean and what God calls clean. He made it clear to him so much so that he expounded on it there in Cornelius' house up at Caesarea. He, he expounded on what God meant. But, but sometimes, sometimes, how many of you know, sometimes you have to be reminded of some stuff. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes the Lord just needs to remind you of what you knew. Sometimes you can get left wing, sidetracked. You can get a little bit off. Especially, you got to be careful who you're around. And, and this, this certain sect of Jews is going to be around. So, so Peter, Peter learns something. And, and here he, he's telling them what knows that there is no difference between us. There's no difference under the blood of Jesus Christ. Christ came and fulfilled the law. And circumcision is not part of salvation. That's what he's telling them. That, that's the finding. Circumcision was a part of the covenant of God. That's part of what God made with Abraham. That's part of what it was to be a Jew. That has nothing to do with what it is to be a Christian. That's what it meant to be a part of the Jewish people. But it has nothing to do with what it means in the New Testament to be part of God's people. But so he's basically telling them, I, I know it was the law. But Jesus fulfilled that. What you're looking for is not a prerequisite of something that you've got to have for salvation. It's what used to be. The mystical body of Christ is made up of all men from all nations, all tongues, all languages, all colors, which really you got Jew and Gentile. That's all they had. But it makes no difference to Jesus Christ. We are all one family, bought with the same blood, brought into the same family, headed to the same heaven to live in the same eternity together forever. Somebody ought to be excited about that. Now, just, just personal thought back, back, to my, back to my legalists that were, that were sitting there thinking, yeah, we're fixing to get something now because Peter's going to speak. I wonder what they're thinking now. I mean, I'm thinking they just got their tail tucked between their legs. What do you think? It, do, it doesn't really tell us, but I'm betting the mood in the room just changed. I'm, I'm betting the environment. All those Jews that was gathered around, they were big in numbers. And you had Paul and Barnabas, Paul and company, that few. I, I, I'm figuring the whole mood in there just changed. Paul, Paul probably just set up and said, God, thank, thank you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for doing what only you could have done. Anybody ever in that? Thank you, Father, for Peter. Thank you, Father, for what you showed Peter. Thank you for what you just taught these people through Peter. Lord, I couldn't have done that. Y'all with me? I couldn't have done, I could have told them. I've already told them. But they weren't going to hear. But, but you put somebody with authority, and you touched his heart, and you filled him with the Spirit, and you spoke the truth into him, and, and you did something special. He put no difference between us in verse number 9, between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith, not of works, not of works, lest any man should boast. What God had confirmed in Paul is confirmed in Peter, and now it's confirmed to this group. Verse number 10. Therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, 
which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. He said, why, why are you trying to hold them to a law that you couldn't keep? Why are you trying to hold them to something that our forefathers couldn't keep? Why are you trying to hold them above a benchmark that we couldn't stay above? Why, why are you trying to bring that back into it? Why are you tempting God? If God didn't put limitations on salvation, then who are you to put limitations on salvation? If God said that the gift of God is Jesus Christ is enough, then who are you to say that the gift of God in Jesus Christ is not enough? If God didn't specify that any of the law had to be kept, but that the blood of Jesus was enough, then who are you to say that the law has to be kept and Jesus isn't enough? If God said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, who are you to say that it ain't true? If God said, call upon me except the gift I'll save your soul, he says, who are you men to come in here and say it ain't so? Are, are, are you bigger than God? That, that's what he said. See, God, God is on the side of freedom, not bondage. Will people go to hell? Absolutely. Only by choice. And not God's choice. Not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. People are going to go to hell because they choose to go to hell. They're going to go to hell because they reject the gift of God because they don't want it. So they, so they choose it. it the, the gift is there. God, God, God is on the side of salvation, not law. God gave the law so there'd be a benchmark and men couldn't keep the law. So God came in, in the bodily form of Jesus Christ and fulfilled the law that the law might be fulfilled. And now it's wrapped up into this nice, neat little package that we can have salvation under one name, Jesus. God is on the side of, of salvation. God is on the side of redemption by grace, not merit by works. Do I need to say it again? God is on the side of redemption by grace. Not merit by works. Nobody's working their way in. We all did the same thing. We trusted Jesus Christ. Some of you are working yourselves to death right now. You're working with children. You're working ministries. You're working all things you do. But you're working for the glory of God. You're not working to get saved. You're working because you are saved. You're not working because you have to. You're working because you get to. It is a privilege and an honor to get to come to church. This is the, listen, I was talking to a pastor on the phone today, and we were talking about people not coming to church and what's there, and we was talking about, really, one of the things I preached on a few weeks back about the simplicity of serving God, but, but it is as simple as just do right. Christianity is not a checklist of chores. It, it's not, well, I have to go to church. It's you get to go to church. Listen, for, for the redeemed of the Lamb of God that understands what God has done for us, Sunday morning and Wednesday night is the best time of our week. It's the best it gets. We get to gather with brothers and sisters, like-minded, like family, that we're going to be for all of eternity and talk about the goodness of God. Share the word of God. Sing praises to God. That is, that's not a checklist item. That is the best thing we're going to get to do this week. The next best thing I'll get to do in my life this week is hopefully somewhere between here and Sunday is lead somebody to the Lord. And after that, the next big thing I'll get to do is Sunday morning. To get to come fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ and be a part of a worship. It's just not that hard to serve God. We, we, we make it a lot of what it's not. Verse number 12, it says, all the multitudes kept silence. Yeah, imagine so. So they gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. So, so now Paul and Barnabas has got the floor back. And they're talking about the goodness of God. They're telling people, look, man, you don't just have to listen to what we said. 
you don't just have to listen to what Peter said. Here's the facts. We went in and preached Jesus. They accepted Jesus, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit just like us. There wasn't any circumcision. There wasn't any law. This is what happened. This is the fulfillment of what Peter's telling you, that there's no separation, there's no division, that we're all one through Christ. So they're, they're telling the story about what it done. And it says, verse 13, that after they held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Well, I'm about out of time. And that becomes a pretty long, a pretty lengthy answer. So that's really a good place to start back right here next week anyway. But if there's anything for us to, to, to take, and, and it's, it's amazing. It's amazing that God would give me two lessons on unity on we're better together for two weeks in a row and then we land at chapter 15 tonight in between part two and part three of a message. See, that none of that stuff is an accident. There are no accidents in God's economy. There's no accident that any of us are here tonight. There's no accident this happens to be the one Wednesday night that some of you got to come be but because you're always working. This is, this is what we've got to take from here. The power and the necessity of unity. The power and the necessity of unity. All the devil had to do here in this story was bring somebody in to stir up a little bit of discord. All he had to do was bring one in. I mean, things are going great, right? Sharing the story, everything's great. Everything's going on, and souls have been saved, and they're telling about it, and they're in the midst of a revival. And all it took was for something to come up and, and drop a little something in the pot to get the water stirring. And now all of a sudden, you've got a division. You've got these that say, well, you've got to be circumcised. And these, you say, well, no, you don't have to be circumcised. It may not be circumcision, but we've got the same kind of garbage going on in the churches today. All the devil has to do is come in, and at that moment, he gets a little bit of stirring in the pot, salvations stopped arguments started togetherness broke up unity got separated division became the center part and because of that god is no longer doing any great works until they go back and get all that straightened out unity is necessary if the church is going to do anything for the glory of god and the devil knows that the devil knows that all he's got to do is get you in a little riff with somebody else in the church and get some kind of pot stirring in here, and he can mess up everything the Lord's doing. You know how it, it seems so hard on a Sunday morning to get the Holy Spirit moving in the church. Really, all it takes is one. I mean, if one came in here fully prayed up, fully read up, fully studied up, fully touched up by the Holy Ghost, came in here and got to worshiping God, all of a sudden it begins to trickle on somebody around him. I'm talking about worshiping God, just true in his spirit. And it gets to trickling before you know it. The Holy Spirit breaks out. But it's so easy to get discord going. Well, it's hard to get that going. Because you got somebody worshiping, you got somebody else going there. I wish they'd shut up. They're disturbing me. Boy, you got one over there. I wish they'd sit down. I, moving around is bothering me. You, or you got, you got one that's saying, well, they're just sitting there with their hands raised. I wish they'd put it down. Or either stand up and rejoice. It, it's, it's, there's always just got to be something. All this is a little riff. That, that stuff's not of God. If you come in here to worship God, then nothing else matters. 
We come in here and worship God, and the Holy Spirit can move in this place. But it seems to be very difficult. To, to, I mean, when you have those days when the Holy Spirit really moves in the church, we don't forget those, right? How many of us here were on the Sunday night of the New England Patriots Super Bowl and the Patriots lost that night? How many was that service that Sunday night? Raise your hand. We ain't never forgot to have one. Isn't that pitiful that, that we can remember that far back? What is that, 12 years ago? 12 years ago, remember what God did? And all it was is because the people came in and put stuff aside and the Holy Spirit moved. And God was so real in this place that we won't ever forget it. I don't, I don't think Alzheimer's could make us forget that night. I think that'd be the one thing we'd hang on to. I really do. It's so difficult for us to get pure and true, but it's so simple for the devil to get a little bit of rip in here, to get a little bit of stuff. And that little bit of garbage will keep us as individuals from going where we need to go for the glory of God. And it'll keep the church from being where it needs to be for the glory of God. And if it's not, then it'll be just like chapter 14. And when our story, or chapter 15, when our story is written, not one soul will be saved for that entire chapter. You know why? Because we let a little rift get in there. Unity is important. Praying for one another is important. Praying for our enemy that spitefully uses us and persecutes us says all manner of evil against us is important. That's the things that it takes for God to pour blessings on our life. And that, listen, if somebody don't like you, make them your number one prayer subject. They ain't got to like you. You ain't got to like them, but you got to pray for them. I don't know why I'm getting into all that. I said I was going to stop, didn't I? God, thank you so much for being so good. God, thank you for this, this precious book. God, I just I love this book. I love what it teaches us. I love, Father, that you'll sit down and show us little nuggets. Every time we read it, God, we see something brand new. Read a passage today that we read yesterday and see something brand new today. See things that were there that we didn't see yesterday. See things that were missing that we've never seen before. Thank you, God, that your sweet Holy Spirit would sit down and, and teach us this letter that you wrote to us, God, and that you would stir us and shape us and mold us into your image, God. Thank you for loving us so much. God, I thank you for this word tonight. Lord, I, Lord, I pray there's a blessing to somebody besides just me. God, I pray somebody would learn something of the things that you continue to show me, God, the simplicity of serving you and the necessity of being one, united in Christ. We love you, God. You've been good to us. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Love on somebody. Children's workers, y'all got to be here next week too, don't you?